the City of the Great King podcast, episode three. Welcome back. I'm glad that you're here. Episode three. Hey, Lord willing, that could be episode 300 one day. It all starts small. Beautiful things start small. Strong things start small and they grow. And one day it could be episode 300. Good habits will lead to episode 300. We talked about good habits a couple weeks ago. And I'm already noticing, I record this on Tuesday nights, usually I upload it on Tuesday nights as well. When I get home from work, and I feed the cat, feed myself, and I think about my evening, and my body doesn't let me do other things unless I complete the podcast. My, My mind will not focus on anything else, I can't move on, you know, that feeling that you get when you have something that you have to do still, and you don't have that peace or relaxation until you've completed it, that's what you get when a habit has formed. You get that sense where I can't proceed until this happens. That's when your habit has taken form. So that's how my Tuesdays look now. I had somebody ask me recently if I spend a lot of time in editing these things. <laughs> and the answer is no. <laughs> no time at all, actually. This is one take. You get When I hit the record button to when I'm done is one take. I'm not wasting time in editing. Uh, well, the only editing that I have to do is putting in the music and putting in the outro music. Uh, and then I put in that interview the other week. That's true. But uh, in normal recording, it's just one take. No editing. Somebody might wonder, well, what if you mess up? Like what? Like, uh, like I, like I shout a heresy? Like, I, like I teach something really wrong? <laughs> if, uh, if you get in front of a microphone and you're scared that you're going to randomly slip into false teaching or teach some heresy, <laughs> you're probably not ready to start a podcast yet. Uh, A good, sustainable podcast comes from regularly putting your skills and abilities to use. It actually reminds me of prayer. Um, I asked a group one time at my church, I asked, what makes a good prayer? And I love that question. It gets people thinking, and you think it's so simple. But when you put thought into it and trying to answer that question, it makes you go, huh, what makes a good prayer? What makes a good prayer? What makes it good? Um, If I'm sincere? Well, you can sincerely pray a pretty bad prayer. Okay, uh, what if a good prayer is is personal? Mm Mm-hmm, well, you can pray very personally and it can still be a very bad prayer. And usually it takes a long time before I get the correct answer. One of the biggest parts of what makes a good prayer is good theology. Good theology makes a good prayer because theology teaches you who you're praying to, how you're supposed to pray, what are the elements of a prayer, and so good prayer comes from good theology. It's like that in a podcast too. You, If you're worried that you're just going to put out some something that's not very useful or you're going to go into false teaching, you got some more study to do, or maybe improving on your speaking ability or communication ability, whatever it is. I remember I'm in a small group a couple months ago, and we're doing prayer, and, and I had good prayer on my mind. 
and we're praying for the person beside you and there was two newer Christians, younger Christians to the group and we took turns praying and the more ex so-called experienced Christians prayed first and it, it, it was fine prayers. They, each one went for a couple minutes and you can hear scriptural references in there and they're somewhat poetic and yeah, it was a standard Christian prayer. And then the newer Christians start praying for the person beside them. And you can tell that they're trying to imitate the people who just prayed before them. And, and nobody, the, the, the more experienced Christians didn't pray a bad prayer, but it was just very standard, par for the course, I guess. And these newer ones are trying to pray like them, and they're tripping over their words, and they, they don't sound like they know what they're saying, and they're going all over the place, and they're not making a, a point, even what they're praying is questionable, and we, we get through the prayer time, and I go up to these guys, a couple of them after, just to try to relieve them from the pressure. And I just told them, a good prayer doesn't need to be long, it doesn't need to be flowy, it doesn't need to be poetic. A good, to start out with prayer, just consider the request that's being made, and the Bible tells us that we are allowed and encouraged to bring our request before God. So when you start this prayer and you're a younger Christian, you're newer to prayer, go to the Lord, acknowledge him, bring up the request, thank him, say amen. And that's it. You don't have to sound grandiose or great. You don't have to imitate the other people who pray. Just acknowledge him, make the request, thank him, amen. And man, you could see in their eyes, like they get wider, like, thank you. Like, it was freeing to them because I could see the burden it was putting on them to have to try to pray, mimicking the people who just prayed before them. So uh, that all came from editing. Um, well, you can enjoy that. There is a topic I want to talk about today, and this is getting to what's going to be a frequent topic on this podcast. This is a kingdom building podcast and what naturally comes out from this type of theme is a question. What does it mean to be a kingdom builder? There are, that's a huge question. There's a lot of aspects to it and so it is a question we will return to frequently tackling a different aspect of it each time. But at its base, what does it mean to be a kingdom builder? Well, it simply means that you're building towards something. Think of a, a physical kingdom. There, there's a physical sense to this. If you are trying to build a kingdom on earth, you have some type of centralized government or leadership, and you're building houses. You're building your defenses up. In the old times, maybe that's building up high walls and, and whatever your defenses are. You're building up your armies, your soldiers, the ones who go to battle for you. You're building up farms for a food supply. So all these physical things that you're building that goes into a kingdom. I think of medieval kingdoms a lot in that way. Well, to be a kingdom builder Christianly, we're not talking about physical houses per se. Yes, we build a physical church, but we're using it in a metaphorical, spiritual, or, or even allegorical type of way. You know, the kingdom of God is not one where we're building up walls of stone. We're not building drawbridges or we're putting up catapults and trebuchets to defend the walls. That's not the type of kingdom that we're building. 
We're using it in a metaphorical or a spiritual sense. And so instead of building a physical house, we're building spiritual houses. That which uh, families of faith, that is. Instead of physical defenses and walls, we build spiritual defenses. And the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual armor that we put on, the belt of truth and, and everything else. So we have spiritual defenses and spiritual armies is what we're making. We're not raising up uh, crusaders to go storm the Holy Land today or anything like that. Uh, but we are building Christian soldiers in the sense that we go out into the kingdom of darkness, into Satan's kingdom, to unbelievers, and we seek to win them for the Lord, Christian soldiers. So we're using this in a metaphoric and spiritual sense when we talk about kingdom building. And the next part of this to consider is that we are builders then in God's kingdom. So we're not trying to build a metaphoric kingdom for ourselves. I'm not after Tyler's kingdom. Uh, I'm not even after my church's kingdom, for first and foremost, primarily. We are builders in God's kingdom. Now, all this talk that I've said so far, builders, kingdom, uh, defenses, all this, this is all assuming an active, engaged life ethic. Okay, so to be a kingdom builder assumes you are active. There's no such thing as a kingdom builder or anybody who is being mightily used by the Lord who is negligent of the Christian duty, who are lazy, who don't get involved, who aren't engaged in the issues around them. We live in a time, and it's amazing how, how, how this is the case, but we almost celebrate passivity and ignorance. Right, so in many churches, the Christians who just go along to get along, who don't say anything that could be ever considered to be divisive or, or could lead to any type of conflict or tension, we, we praise and uplift and say that they are the ones who are doing the work of God, the ones who are not ever getting involved in fiery issues or the issues of the day, but they're just going about their life in this passivity until they go to the grave. You see that? Uh, I do. But we are builders in an active, engaged life ethic. We're positively building towards something. What we do in our day-to-day -day lives actually has meaning and should be built towards a vision, a goal. I think, I got, I've said before, I got two young kids. It can be very hard with two young kids to, or any number of young kids, to be thinking long-term. But you so frequently just, okay, they're, they're happy, they're fed, they, I put out the temper tantrums, I got them to bed, I changed the diapers, okay, we've made it through another day. Oh, we survived, good. And some days will feel more like that. But yet, you have to ever be present, ever be mindful of the fact that you are positively raising a son to be a leader in God's kingdom or a leader in Satan's kingdom. And he will lead a life of some kind. It's not a measure, or it's not a matter of if, but what. Your kids will grow up and take up a lot of what their parents taught them and how you raise them to be. So, if you are raising them with a long-term view that you are building them for something, then that means that you are taking on an active, engaged life ethic. And that's very important 
Jesus talks a lot about his kingdom. It's why it's a topic that we can't ignore. He talked about his kingdom in various parables, and in Matthew 5, he brings out a couple of them. Matthew 5, 31. This is talking about Jesus. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Okay, so that's the first one. He's talking about how the kingdom of God is going to appear very small. At first, he uses the mustard seed, a very, very small seed that you put in there. You don't see the results of it for a long time. But over time, over extended growth, it becomes one of the largest in the garden. In fact, it says it becomes larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that even the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. It starts small, but it's actively being grown. It's actively being built. And the end result is something beautiful and strong and sustainable. And that is what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus said this. Over a long period of time, it is going to continuously grow, continuously become stronger, more sustainable, more effective. This is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. Right after he tells another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, I've never baked bread in my life. I honestly don't know much. I don't know anything about making bread. But this is what I've, this is what I do know, at least what I think I know. Unleavened bread is very flat, and the leaven is then what makes it expand and get like that fluffiness to it. Please, if anyone makes bread, correct me. And so what he is getting at with the kingdom is similar to the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven that goes into this, into this bread, into this dough, and it starts expanding, and it gets very large, and so that's what the kingdom of God is like. It starts very small, and it ends up very large um, in the end. There is some Old Testament talk in these types of terms as well um, about starting small, about the day of small things. And that's one of the points, one of the primary points I want to make today, is that kingdom building starts, how does it start? It starts with small beginnings. So you don't just get a fruitful Christian life or to be, be a positive kingdom builder just one day as though you're born with it, as though you just get it. Think of the people who have influenced you the most positively, the ones you look up to, the ones who are doing things, the ones who are active and engaged, the most involved, those people. They don't get that just by stumbling upon luck, so-called luck. They don't get that by just being handed a silver platter. Now, certainly there are people who start off with more advantages in various ways in life. But the most, the, the people who influence us the most typically have put in work, they've put in time, they've gone through some things, and they speak out of a life of experience and knowledge. And that started small. They didn't just get it. So, in the Old Testament, we get the story from the book of Ezra. They, the people of Israel were exiled, but they were allowed to return, and they're starting to rebuild everything. And Ezra is involved in, in some of these rebuilding plans. And it says this 
in the book of Ezra. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. So they're starting to lay the foundation to a new temple. The temple was very important to Israel. It represented the, the presence of the Lord. So they didn't. They had a temple before. It was destroyed. Now they're back in the land, and they're building another one. Continuing, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Again, that is the temple. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, the first temple from before, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Okay, so they're rebuilding this temple, and there are some older people there who had seen the first temple, in all of its splendor. The first temple was built under Solomon, King Solomon, in a time of peace and prosperity, a time of economic wealth. It was a great time in Israel when this first temple was built. It was ordained in all types of uh, valuable metals and materials like gold. And it was very, it had all this grandeur to it. It, it was really marvelous. And now they're rebuilding and it's a tense time. They have enemies around them. They have people who are trying to get them to stop building this temple. They don't have the, the precious materials that they had before. It's, and so they don't even get it at the size that it was before. So these old men who had seen the other one, they see this new one being built. They see the foundation and they're, they're weeping with a loud voice. They had seen a better day, a better temple. What is this? And we can probably understand that reaction a little bit. When you have something good and then you have to go down to something worse, it can make you very sad. And then it made these guys weep. It was a very small day for them. But then there's Zechariah. He's a, he's a minor prophet near the end of the Old Testament in terms of where the book is placed. He wrote... Uh, he was around at the same time, and he was getting visions from the Lord. And this is what he had to write about, about this very similar time. God gives a word, and he says to Zechariah, Who are you? This is in chapter 4, verse 7, starting there. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, he would be a governor, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. Okay, stopping there. So Zerubbabel was a governor who was coming, and they laid the foundation of this house, the temple that was being built here. So we're referring to the same time as in Ezra. Continuing. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Verse 10. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. Who was despising the day of small things? Well, it was 
It was those older men, those older women, the people who had seen the first temple and the glory of it, and now they're seeing this one, and it's small to them, and they're weeping. And yet God is saying that even the ones who were despising that day of small things will one day rejoice, because God is still working in the day of small things. Right? God doesn't just give them one day this completed, glorious temple that surpassed the glory of the first one. It started small. The rebuilding starts small, and it has to grow. Think even of Jesus' disciples. You know, he calls 12 to be his personal disciples, and that's who he works with during his public ministry. And he does so many things and miracles amongst the people in Israel. And he gives his teaching to, to, to these 12. And then he calls the apostles and, and all that. And this small group of people end up spreading this belief that their master Jesus, the one who taught about this kingdom of God as a mustard seed, he's killed but that he was raised from the dead, he's resurrected. And they go out, when before they were cowards, they go out with this fervor and evangelize and spread this message that Jesus was the Messiah, and they turn the world upside down. The Christian faith spreads all over, not just in Israel, but across all of what they would have called the known world. Went across Asia, Africa, Europe, and eventually it gets to every part of the world. So, the day of small things with Jesus and his disciples, I mean, it can't get much smaller than when Jesus just starts out himself. At 12 years old, he goes to the temple, the very second temple that the old men are crying about. At 12 years old, he's there, and he is teaching and speaking to the people around, and the authorities are amazed, the scribes, the teachers, they're amazed that this 12-year-old has such knowledge and understanding. But we would call that, we would look at that and say that was a day of small things. Just one solo 12-year-old. And look what it turned into. Look at the plan that God had there. Even the 12 disciples, when they go out and they start evangelizing and the early church starts spreading, it is a day of small things. But then you look 2,000 years in the future, you look today, and you have the Christian church in every part of the world. You can't despise the day of small things. I think uh, many of us can start despising days of small things. I think of early COVID. You remember early COVID, March 2020? At least early COVID for Canada. <laughs> I remember it because... Uh, the day that I was supposed to enter the ministry at this church was March 2020. That's when I was supposed to start. I had left my job that I was working before that in anticipation that this was starting. And then a funny thing happened. <laughs> the world goes nuts. And we shut everything down. And the start date to my job gets delayed. By a few months and I actually didn't end up starting until June yes I believe it was June so it was delayed three months my start date and I just remember that early time in March 2020 when I was supposed to be starting this job in the ministry 
and instead I'm sitting at home and I didn't even have the prior job anymore and it wouldn't have mattered they were shut down anyway. Everything was shut down. And I get to this stage of life at that point where I'm just unengaged. I, it was a disaster for me. Like my screen time went way up, I'm watching more TV, playing more video games, just wasting time. I wasn't engaged like I should have been, was, was wasting time, was kind of in internally defeated, feeling that way that, you know, was it going to comp compromise the job? Was it going to, um, or I didn't know what it was going to do. And it's not even like I have that good of, a, of an excuse. I know it, the popular thing is that we give everybody excuses in early COVID. We didn't know what was coming and, you know, it doesn't matter if we you know, whatever mistakes we made at that time. Oh, we had no idea. It was new for everybody, blah, blah, blah. And yet each one of us could have made decisions to be positive and be productive in other ways, right? We, we say these types of things. We try to comfort ourselves with these excuses when really it's just blatant ignorance and disobedience to being productive. So I don't have to spend all this time on my TV or on my computer or not reading books and not taking my bike out for a ride. I have these habits now Especially, oh, the biking habit. I love cycling. Somebody, yeah, y'all can hit me up for a bike ride someday. But uh, we give ourselves these excuses to stop being productive, to stop building. And we have to change the mindset that goes into those days where everything seems unproductive and that nothing good is happening and think of the long game again. And eventually I got dragged out of that. I got my butt kicked, got taken out of that disaster period and to this day my my habits have never been better than they are now i think each day about how can i positively be involved in kingdom work of building this mustard seed that ends up being the largest in the garden we talk about how we are um uh, i'm using the term kingdom builders other types of metaphors or analogies you can use is we're instruments in God's hands, or we're tools that the handiwork can use. There's different types, but we got to reorient ourselves back to what am I doing? Well, what does this day mean? And when all we see is a day of small things, we tend to not think that we are being productive, or that anything glorious is coming out of it, or that there's purpose to what we're doing. But the encouragement that God gave to Zechariah to pass to Zerubbabel and the people of Israel in the day of the building of the second temple was to not despise the day of small things. We talk a lot about our culture and the descent of it. Goodness, like we have so descended into leftiness. Anything that has the word left on it, we just run towards it. And what a disaster it has been for our society. We talk, we think about our culture and how do we change this? What can we do to reverse the ship? Do we even want to reverse this ship? Can we just, like like Noah, bring the boat, let this, let this flood and we'll rebuild? Uh, but we're here, we're in this culture, how do we change it? Changing the culture, kingdom building, starts with men and women making faithful choices in their day-to-day -day lives. It sounds so simple, but 
the greatest things all have a beginning. You have to start small. You start by making faithful choices in the way that you raise your children. So instead of just trying to survive and get through the day, we're going to be involved in family worship. And my two-year-old might not really pay attention. And my four-year-old probably isn't singing the hymn correctly or whatever it is. Or my five-year-old still isn't remembering the one catechism question. You'll get, you'll face all type of setbacks and you can be very discouraged or think that it's not doing anything. Just like the old men in Israel rebuilding the temple didn't think anything positive was going on and were discouraged and couldn't see the end product, the end picture. It starts by making faithful choices so that your family is in, engaged in daily worship and that is the role of the father and the husband to start that. It's on you to lead your family to the Lord, both your children and your wife. You take the lead in that, in God's economy. It starts by working as unto the Lord in your job instead of just phoning it in, half effort, cutting corners, just trying to get to Friday. Instead, you are looking to be actively engaged because it's kingdom work. I saw a post from somebody that I know on Facebook. He's a janitor. And he wrote a really good post about how he scrubs each toilet to the glory of God. He doesn't skip one. He mops those floors believing that these are the floors that future men and women in the kingdom of God are walking upon. He takes his job seriously. And we can, other people might look down on, on that type of work or think it's beneath them. And yet changing our culture starts by making faithful choices in your day-to-day -day lives. It usually starts by no longer despising the day of small things. I have another friend here who he's been growing so much in the Lord and his knowledge and his love of people and even in his communication. And he was wondering, what can I do? How do I get involved in kingdom work? And he got together with a few friends and he's teaching out of the book of Romans. And I know he's going to listen to this and I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing and I support it. He gets together with a few friends, verse by verse, and just teaches out of the Book of Romans. We can get so beside ourselves, thinking, oh, I can't do anything. What can I possibly do? It starts with small things. I'm just recording a weekly podcast. This could reach almost nobody. And I continue to do it because for the benefits of doing something like this, even in a day of small things, in the small beginnings of a podcast can be used in mighty ways down the line. And not only that, but it is beneficial to me now. Everything means something. Nothing is meaningless. And your view of the kingdom is relevant. If you think God's kingdom maybe is the opposite of what Christ said, maybe your idea is that the kingdom of God was strongest when Christ was here, that's when the seed is the, is the tree in the garden, and the birds are coming onto the branches. You know, Christ is here, miracles are happening, disciples, all that type of stuff, apostles. And then over time, it's kind of getting smaller and smaller rather than larger and larger. If that's your view of the kingdom, it's no wonder that you, don't, you won't think in a way that gets you engaged and involved. You will think that being a scapist or... Uh, or being negligent, or just, you know, as, as the world continues to get worse, uh, it's better for me. Jesus is coming back, and I don't need to get involved because, you know, rapture any day now. 
your kingdom of your, your view of the kingdom is very relevant. What are you building towards? Are you part of a kingdom that's expanding or one that's retracting? So we don't think far enough. For too many of us, we just think about getting through the day, getting through the week, getting to the weekend. We think just about our own generation. And maybe some of us will think about the world that our children will inhabit. And I even think of how we, as a society en masse, treated the government's response to COVID-19 and the panic that was induced from it. You know, we set the precedence now for how much authority and power these officials can take. Some of them completely unelected, unelected bureaucrats making decisions about our day-to-day -day lives, about what we have to wear, where we can go, when we can go there. This is the type of world that our children and our grandchildren are going to inherit. Do you think much about your grandchildren, the world that they will have? If you start now, in a day of small things, making positive godly changes in your habits, in your reading, in the work that you do, in getting involved, in putting a, getting off the screen all the time, that goes towards the building of the next generation and the generation after. The ripple effects are enormous and it goes across generations. And one day we'll, one day we'll talk about that more. So you're building towards something. It's not a matter of if, but what. We're all building towards something. So act like it. Start building. Start small. And do not despise the day of small things. You'll see what happens in years down the line. The work that God can accomplish through small, faithful beginnings. Okay. Well, that's episode three. Hope you enjoyed this one. Feel free to share it widely. And if you are a Christian, go win the nations. <laughs>